I want to thank Mr. Brown for the invitation to be here and for his warm words of welcome. And uh, yes, memories do take us back to Lisburn many years ago. Mr. Brown's dad was a, a good friend to us. Uh, he used to drive for uh, Shell, the oil tankers. And uh, he approached me one time and he said, Shell are looking for drivers, will you put your name in? And uh, long story short, I ended up working with him. And we rejoiced in that. And I thought, this will do me nicely till I retire. And it was only in a few years, and the Lord called me out of it to go into his service. But uh, it's a joy to be serving the Lord and uh, to share with you in this harvest time today. Um, I have to say, the one thing I love about coming to the martyrs, mind you, I feel scared about my wits coming here, but the one thing I love about this place is the sense of the prayers of God's people. You really feel carried. I don't know what it is, but there's something special about the praying people of God in this house, and I thank God for you. I feel it in the prayer meeting, even on the way here. I just was conscious. People are praying, and I thank you for that. I pray the Lord will come even now and bless us around his word. Very encouraged to see boys and girls singing their hearts out during the singing of the hymn. That's lovely. Thank God for young people in our midst. And I also enjoyed our, our sister's ministry. Lovely to, lovely to hear her again. Can we invite you to turn, please, to the book of Genesis, chapter 9. <coughs> Genesis chapter 9, we're breaking in at verse 18 of the chapter and reading down into the early verses of chapter 10. We're beginning in verse 18 of chapter 9. And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem and Ham and Japheth. And Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah, and of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard, and he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood three hundred and fifty years, and all the days of Noah were nine hundred and fifty years, and he died. Now these are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and unto them were sons born after the flood. The sons of Japheth Gomer, and Magog, and Madai, and Javan, and Tubal, and Meshach, and Tyrus. And the sons of Gomer, 
Ashkenaz, Riphath, Tugurma, and the sons of Javan, Elisha, and Tarshish, Ketim, and Dolanim. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, every one after his tongue, after their families in their nations. And the sons of Ham, Cush, and Mitzraim, and Phut, and Canaan. And the sons of Cush, Seba, and Havilah, and Sabta, and Reamah, Sabteka, and the sons of Reamah, Sheba, and Dedan. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod the mighty hunter before the Lord. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, and Erech, and Akkad, and Kalne, in the land of Shinar. We're ending there that tenth verse, and the Lord will add his own blessing to the reading of his word. With God's word open, let's just unite our hearts for a moment in prayer, please. Our Father, we thank thee that we have thy precious word before us this morning. We come to thee as the author of the book, and we simply ask thee, Lord, to come and prepare our hearts and minds to send us a word from thyself. Speak, Lord, in, in, in such a manner that we'll recognize that God is speaking to us, to the nation, to our hearts. Oh, we ask for help now, bring all things to our remembrance, take away anything that's not convenient for this season. But we pray that thou cause us to glean something from thy word that will stand us in good stead, and that the child of God might be encouraged to press on, go through with God. Any who know not the Savior might be brought even to recognize their great need, and this day might come and close in with Christ and his offer of mercy. Bless thy word then to this end, that Christ might be glorified. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a passage of Scripture that doesn't make any mention of harvest. Yet, it is one that clearly demonstrates that the law of harvest applies. If we were to choose a text that's appropriate for this occasion, we could select Galatians 6 and 7 where it reads, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That certainly is brought out in the life of this individual that God brings before us this morning. That individual is Ham, one of the sons of Noah. I often think of the scene. When Noah stepped out of the ark after the flood, He stepped out into a world that was almost devoid of all human life. The only family, the only people alive on this planet were Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. They looked out there. There was nobody else on the earth, just themselves. Just Eight souls. Eight, of course, is the number of new beginnings. But it must have been something of an eerie experience. Looking out across the face of what was now a somewhat reshaped earth after the, the devastation of the flood tide, surely there must have been a rare sense of the presence of God that day. Try and picture it. 
Nobody out there but this one family and the presence of God. As Noah and his wife, their three sons and their wives, walked down that ramp to vacate their great sailing vessel, looking around them as far as the eye could see, they knew there's nobody out there but God. What must it have felt like? I wonder what sort of impression it made upon them. Were they not deeply conscious of the divine omnipotence? Were they not struck with a deep sense of awe as they considered it was God who had delivered them and wiped out every other soul who ever lived. And, and all because of the rampant sin and all manner of wickedness that had blighted this world. A cold shiver must have run down their spine as they stood there trying to take it all in. It must surely have struck home to them just what God had accomplished during those months that they were in the ark. The family were shut in for almost a whole year, 334 days, it seems to work out. Eh? But how had they spent those many months? It, is it not fair to suggest that those months must have been, at least for Noah, a, a time of soul-searching in the ark that nobody in all the world... <laughs> but themselves and God. What blissful fellowship they must have enjoyed in that ark. Talking to the Lord day in and day out. All they had to do was attend to the, the livestock that they had on board, make sure they were fed and that they themselves were fed. That's all they could do. I don't doubt, but singing would have been heard echoing in the corridors of that great floating zoo. It must have been something of a paradise on earth. Noah and his family could rejoice, as every Christian can, that they had kept, been kept by the power of God. Some dear souls are afraid to trust Christ for salvation because they, they, they fear they couldn't keep it. Perfectly right, of course. We can't, no man can keep salvation himself. That's why God does the keeping. And if someone here should, be, should live with a fear, well, if I come to Christ, I might lose salvation or he might lose his hold on me, it'll never happen. The Lord says, I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. I mean, would you, would, would a dear soul continue on his way to hell because he fears that the Lord might lose him somewhere along the way? The Lord Jesus has given us that assurance, we'll never perish. See him for time and for eternity. Now, when Noah's, what, what about Noah's sons? Well, Shem became the, the father of the, the Hebrew race. That included Abraham, David. The Lord Jesus himself came, uh, humanly speaking, from that same line of descent. Ham's descendants settled in Canaan. The Egyptians, the Philistines, the Hittites, the Amorites, all came from Ham, as did the Palestinians that you hear so much of. In today's news, Japheth, who was actually the eldest of the three brothers, was the forerunner of the Asian population. The Greeks come from that line as well. But for the purpose of this meeting this morning, I want us just to consider a moment or two three things in the life of Ham. First of all, when he lived. Now, we know uh, from Scripture that he founded a brilliant family. 
We're, told, we're also told that he lived in such a shameful manner as to have God pass him by and give his blessing to his brothers. There may be human reasons why he turned out as he did. I mean, in some families, and it doesn't always happen, in some families, the middle brother is sometimes found to feel somewhat deprived. I mean, when the first child comes along, especially in Hebrew families, the firstborn son, he was extra special. But isn't it true even in our own families? When the first baby comes along, it's almost as if it's made of porcelain. We handle it with such delicacy, such care. The second one comes, the third one comes. And, um, well, sometimes the, the youngest maybe gets away with things that the older one will slap around the ear for. Uh, and the middle one, for some reason, sometimes feel that he's missing out, that he's of lesser importance. That, that's not so, of course. But sometimes young people feel like that. But maybe, and only maybe, that this is one of the reasons why Ham turned out to be somewhat rebellious in his behavior. Certainly, he, he caused his father more headaches and more heartache than the other two put together. What is most disappointing, of course, about Ham is that he turned out, the way he turned out spiritually, and it's this they want to pick up on. Obviously, having just come through the tremendous experience of the flood, Ham lived in an age of discovery. As those uh, couples brought children into the world and saw them grow up, the years soon slipped by. They were exciting days in the world's history. They were days of great scientific discovery of days of technology. Astonishing new inventions uh, affected life on the farm and life in the city. Discoveries were made in the process of refining metals, in music, in marketing, the introduction of previously undreamed of weapons uh, changed the whole concept of war. Cities sprang up, urban life blossomed, but while great things were happening in the material world, men's hearts were becoming more and more godless. And while it was an age of discovery, it was also an age of darkness, spiritually speaking. Progress, if we could call it that, was evident in the arts and sciences, in the field of engineering and technology. As we said, but these things, well, they don't do anything for the soul. It soon became evident that the whole emphasis was on materialism, and that very quickly blunted the edge of spiritual awareness. So it's not surprising. Not surprising then to find Ham as he got older, living in an age of general unbelief. People prided themselves in living in the age of reason and great truths that had been committed to men by divine revelation were either forgotten or just laughed out of court. The teachings about the fall of man, the nature of sin, the need for righteousness, God's plan of salvation, the promise of the coming Messiah, 
culminating in the substitutionary death of Christ upon the cross, blood atonement, impending judgment, all these things were totally discarded as being irrelevant to modern living. Isn't this exactly what we're seeing today, beloved? Aren't we seeing history repeating itself? Men today want to live without God. The needs of the soul, that which deals with the eternal, these things are rubbish, it's unimportant. They want to tell us, oh, we don't need the Ten Commandments today. We've moved on. You know, the one thing, isn't it striking that the one thing that man needs more than anything else today is the one thing nobody wants, salvation. And the fact that such characteristics were to be found in this man, Ham, are all the more disappointing when we consider that God had singled out his father, Noah, for the unique task of saving the human race. A new beginning? For Ham, the old nature was still there. Oh, Noah uh, appears to have been the one man who dared to stand for God in what had been a reckless and godless age. He found grace with the Lord. But he, he was the one who dared to preach boldly to a lost world the message of redeeming love. Yet, yet his own son, while his life had been spared in the ark, he didn't live a life that would attract the blessing of God. And that's very disappointing. Can that be said of someone here? Does your father love the Lord, but you think, oh, it's all a bit too much for you? Does somebody yearn for the freedom to fly your own kite, do your own thing, spread your wings, enjoy the world? Is your heart not really after your father's God? Is the world somebody's choice today? And before we finish this message, we're going to see that the choices Ham made weren't for his own good. And he lost out heavily with God. And we must urge you not to make the same mistake. Ham then lived in a day of discovery, a day of darkness, with something else that was disturbing about those times is that those days came to be days of demonism. By ignoring vital truths, the builders of the antediluvian society actually created a vacuum you know that in the natural world, uh, when a vacuum is created, something will also always rush into that vacuum. And the same applies in the spiritual realm. If men and women won't believe God's word, then they'll believe what men say. And often that means something that Satan has concocted and put into the mind of man. And there's plenty of evidence of that sort of thing going on today. Aren't men bending over backwards? to try and disprove that God is. The Bible states that such men are fools. You have it in Psalm 14. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Aren't men bending over backwards to disprove? Modern society is too quick to ignore spiritual truth. People in Ham's day lived for science and superstition. And all around us today, men are living for the same things. We have technology today, like never before, exploring our planets. 
Like many another thing that man makes, there's always somebody to put good technology to the wrong uses. How many TV programs, children's books, feature psychics, witches, the occult, and so forth, but all their prognostications are false. Oh, sensational enough to attract large and often gullible audiences, but they're telling forth the devil's lie. Like, for example, the Big Bang Theory. Oh, you may laugh it off, but you'd be surprised how many people actually believe it. But while modern man may be an intellectual giant, he's a spiritual dwarf. It was the same in Ham's day. But it's worth noting that all the wicked things that were practiced in those days came under the curse of Almighty God. It's recorded in Leviticus 20. Basically, what modern, modern man is teaching today can all be gathered into one category, fraud. Any society that rejects Scripture invariably accepts false teaching as nothing short of satanic. Oh, it's just coated with enough sugar to make it desirable. But you know, there's nothing worse than half-truths, as you may get the wrong half. It's dangerous when men cry liberty, and what they're covering up is lawlessness. And even back in Ham's day, they, they had their sexist and feminist movements, wherein the, the laws of marriage were thrown aside, pornography became the norm, while city streets were a danger to walk. Oh, it's right up to date, isn't it? Luke 17, 26 reads, And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. And you have similar wording in Matthew 24, 37. The earth then was filled with violence, Genesis 6, 11. And the thoughts of men's hearts were only evil continually. Aren't we seeing this today all around us? No, secondly, what Ham practiced, despite Despite the spiritual advantage of having a father who was saved, and let's never take that lightly, a father who was saved, probably a godly mother too, Ham was beguiled by this evil world. Is that someone here? Is your heart as black and sinful as Ham's? Is it not so that you have chosen to disregard your father's God? your mother's saviour, in exchange for what? The pleasures of sin that only last for a season. How many young people resent being born into a Christian home when they have to live by Christian standards? Oh, the world's more appealing, isn't it? How many have exchanged the things of the world for the blessings of God? Is someone here at heart a rebel against God? That was Ham. He, he was more attracted to the, the Canaanites than he was to the people of God. Isn't it so that, well, how, how many today have, have really no room for God in their everyday living? How many much prefer the loose living of a world that that doesn't have any concern for God, where nobody bothers about what's right or wrong. That's how Ham liked it. Yet here was a man whose father was a preacher of righteousness. 
Here was the preacher's son. Here was one who was used to hearing the kind of righteousness that God requires in his people. How often must he not have heard that we must all flee from the wrath to come? It may be said here that very often, maybe too often, the children of Christian parents are put under maybe pressure. Some people expect the preacher's children to be perfect angels. They're not. They're human. They need bread for like everybody else. That's not to say that they should get away with things that other people don't, but sometimes it's unfair. I think it's unfair to expect them to be super holy. Yes, by all means, bring them up in the admonition of the Lord and teach them the scriptures and pray with them and, and all that. But sometimes preachers' children come under unfair pressure. The, things, the thing is, this applies to every Christian home, whether there's a preacher in the home or not. Ham was the preacher's son. Therefore, he enjoyed the advantage of godly influence in his home. So there could be no, absolutely no excuse for his unholy behavior. Everybody who knows the truth is obliged to live right before the world, whether they be from the preacher's home or not. Ham knew that what a Christian should be. And no doubt he often heard about Cain and Abel, and he would have learned the importance of salvation. He, he would know that there's only one way of salvation, that is through faith in Christ. He would have known that the keeping of the law would never merit salvation. Evidently, he didn't want to die, for he entered into the ark along with his father and mother. But when God let him out of the ark, he went straight back to the old paths of sin. And he failed to bring his children up in the things of the Lord. He didn't lead them to the Lord. He sought to find happiness in the very things that God had saved him from. So he's flying in the face of God. He allowed his children to be fashioned according to the ways of this world. When you think of it, here's a man who used his father's ark so that he could be spared to live a while longer in sin. That was a blasphemous thing to do. But I wonder, is somebody listening, using a profession of salvation to have other people think you're all right for heaven all the while you can't get enough of this old world and sin beloved let's emphasize these words God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap you know nobody pushed Ham into the ark he chose to enter into it but while his body was inside his spirit was still out there in the world. Well, you may be in the church, still a lost sinner. Or you may be clinging to a profession, but in your heart of hearts, you know things are not right between you and the Lord. Ham paid very scant attention when Noah said that righteousness must be reproduced in the life of the believer. 
Here's a man, he didn't want to perish, but he had little concern for the responsibilities of faith. His life was a lie. That's very sad. By entering into the ark, he, he want, it's like he wanted to be known as a Christian, but he wasn't prepared to live the life when he got out of it. He'd been saved from a watery grave. No doubt there was some sense of relief that he had survived the, the turmoil of the flood. But here's a man, he couldn't wait to get back to his sin. His heart was not right with God. Notice lastly here, I see our time is going. Notice what Ham lost. Was he ever saved? Oh, he's in the ark all right. Just like many people enter into the church, but when we run a fine-tooth comb through Ham's life, we find no evidence of sanctification. Nothing but the vast, incomparable, and wonderful grace of God could have counted the man saved. He discredited his father. Sadly, it's recorded of him that uh, Ham found Noah drunk and naked. Now, we might give Noah the benefit of the doubt. I'm saying we might give him the benefit of the doubt and make excuses for him. Maybe Noah didn't realize that under the, the new climate conditions after the flood, that grape juice would ferment into intoxicating wine. But while Shem and Japheth took a blanket and walked backwards and covered Noah, in his tent, Ham showed no such scruples, and rather gloated at the spectacle. He couldn't wait to broadcast it. He showed no love or respect for his own father. No doubt, a lot more occurred in Ham's life that isn't recorded in our Bible. But what we do know is that in time, Noah pronounced his blessing upon Shem and Japheth, but when he came to Ham, he turned away in disgust. He had no blessing for him. And as a consequence, Ham received no blessing from God. There would follow enlargement for Sham, enlightenment for Japheth. There's nothing for Ham. And he went through the rest of his life unblessed, entered into eternity unrewarded. He had lived an impoverished life. And every believer has the potential to make the same mistakes. We need to keep close to the Lord. We need to be in the place of prayer. Spend time with God's Word. Some people, when they die, they leave a legacy of money or buildings or maybe a collection of books or something of value. What did Ham leave? Scripture tells us of four sons he left behind, but what do we learn of them? On foot, lived himself, hired himself out as a mercenary to the Turgeons. He, his sons were guerrillas. Mitzraim was the father of the Egyptians, who have given us the, the great pyramids of that country. They, they've given to this world a lot of pageantry and power, but it, it, it's all based on gross superstition. The Egyptians worshipped cats, cows, crocodiles, bats, birds, beetles, and other wildlife. They had no real knowledge of God. In other words, Mitzrayim left a legacy of worldly magnificence, utterly bereft of any spiritual sanity. Another of the sons was Cush. His son Nimrod founded two great cities of antiquity, Nineveh and Babylon. Nineveh was 
home to cruelty. We all know the kind of idolatry Babylon is noted for. People in those cities specialized in persecuting the people of God. And that's the legacy of a man who was in the ark. The fourth son mentioned in Scripture is Canaan. He absorbed all the filth of the antediluvian world. Okay, he hadn't lived before the flood, so where did he get these characteristics from? Did he not inherit them from Ham? It was through this race that pornography was developed, along with all manner of perversion, yet all in the name of religion. And you know what's most disturbing about this man, Ham? He never lost a wink of sleep over all the corruption that he had brought into the world, even though God had spared him in the ark. He lived almost as if Noah had never existed, as if there had never been an ark or the flood. And he also lived as if there would never be a day of accounting. Isn't that how multitudes are living in this 21st century? Aren't we in a day when there's no fear of God before men's eyes? Where good is evil and evil is good? How is it with your soul today, beloved? Ever been truly saved? You walking with God? Or is your heart out there in the, in the world, in the wilderness, when it should be one with Christ? Is there a preacher somewhere in your family circle? But their message is lost on you? Oh, isn't it time you were casting yourself upon the mercy of God for saving grace? For deliverance from the awful consequences of life of sin? Will you not then give yourself to him today and let him give you a life that's worth living? Remember the law of harvest applies. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I, I suppose in a sense, you know, there's a lot of negativity looking at this man, but he stands as a warning to us all to be so careful. Having enjoyed the blessings of being in the ark, knowing God's protection, saving him from destruction before the flood came, to turn around and live the way he did. His life was far from God-honoring. Oh, let that never be. Let that accusation never be laid at our door. And rather, be prepared, beloved, to give yourself afresh, even today, to the Lord. And say, Lord, take my life. Let it be consecrated to thee. Take me up. In, in spite of my nothingness, take me and use me the way I am. The Lord has a duty for every one of us, and that is to do what you can for his glory and the extension of his kingdom. Isn't that why the Lord saved us? That we might serve him? What's man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. You can't enjoy him if your heart's in the world. The Lord has blessings in store, beloved, far more exceedingly than we can ever imagine. The Lord has he's done great things for us. He can do great things through us and with us if we would exercise that spirit of surrender 
to his will. I trust the Lord will encourage you to do that. But may you pray today, Lord, take me up in spite of me. Use me for thy glory and the extension of thy kingdom. And the Lord encourage our hearts even to do that, even this day, for Christ's sake. Amen. <laughs>